our Lord Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for teaching us how to pray. Thank you for the gift of prayer, the gift of being able to speak to you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who dwells within us, allows us to hear your voice even through uh, the words of a weak and foolish and sinful preacher. I pray that you would open our ears to, to hear you, open our hearts to receive your word. Would you teach us this morning? Would you help us to uh, magnify your name? Would you uh, change us this morning by your word and receive it as it really is, not the, the mere words of men, but the very words of God? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of the Pharisees, a lawyer, came forward to Jesus and he said, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And I submit to you that therein is the key to life. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And out of that, to love our neighbor as ourself. This is the purpose for which we were created. Our Shorter Catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it like this, man's chief end or man's primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so if we can understand what it means to glorify and enjoy him, if we can understand how to love the Lord our God with all of our being, then we understand our primary purpose. And if we live in accordance with our primary purpose we will experience the joy and satisfaction for which we were created. And the order and the priority of those commandments is important. Jesus said, this is the greatest, or the great and the first commandment. It begins, our hearts must first and foremost love the Lord our God with all of our being, with all all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And only secondarily do we love ourselves, love our neighbors as ourselves. And in fact, if we, that's the only way that either of those things are actually possible. If we fail to love the Lord more than anything else, we fail to love everyone. But if we love the Lord our God with all of our being, that will unlock the key to loving others as ourselves. Because this is so important to us, because our God over and over again emphasizes this for us throughout Scripture, God is gracious to teach us this very fact over and over again. Not only did our Lord Jesus Christ very clearly clarify for us the great focus of our lives, where we must begin with our priority, but it's also, as I'm sure you know, in the very Ten Commandments uh, that were given to us through Moses. Jesus' uh, emphasis on these two commandments, 
love God and love our neighbor, is really a summary of the summary of the Ten Commandments, what we call the, the two tables of the Ten Commandments. The first, again, the first of these commandments are focused on loving the Lord our God, giving glory to God, those commandments, no other gods, no idols. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Honor the Sabbath. Those are focused on the glory of God, and the others are focused on loving our neighbor as ourself. Everything from honor your father and mother to you shall not covet. And as we come to this perfect prayer that our Savior Jesus Christ taught us, we actually see the very same thing taught yet again. There are these, uh, we're in this portion of the prayer where there are the petitions, the requests that God gives us, that of a, where, he, where Jesus teaches us how to pray, what to ask for, and we see two, if you will, tables of petitions. And the first three are focused on the glory of God, and the next three are focused on love for neighbor. And this is really important. This, from the very beginning, we're, we're reminded that our hearts are so focused on ourselves, so focused on the, even the people that God puts into our lives, that we need to be reoriented in our thought life, even in our prayer life. Our prayers can become so focused on ourselves, and yet Jesus teaches us to begin with the glory of God. There, if you look at the petitions, the first three are focused on God, thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. That's the second set of petitions that are focused on ourselves. Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. Our hearts are taught yet again to reorient our very thoughts first to our God, to the glory of God and the honor to his name. But even within those first three petitions, those three that are focused on the glory of God, this one that we're looking at today, if you will, is the, the great and the first petition of them all. It's, it's the one that is above all and holds all the rest of them together. This is the, the petition that is primarily focused on the glory and the adoration of our great God. And this is where Jesus teaches us to begin our prayers focused on asking our Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. It's, it's so important. J.I. Packer said, understand and make this request your own. And you have unlocked the secret to prayer and life. And another pastor, Andrew Murray, he said, understand this, we understand true worship. Because in true worship, the Father must be first. The Father must be all. So let's, let's try to understand this request. Uh, this is probably perhaps the, the most confusing of all the requests that our Savior taught us. There are two parts to this request, and both of them are open to a lot of different confusion. So he begins by saying, hallowed be your name. Now kids, I'm going to assume that you don't use the word hallowed that very often, and so you probably don't know what it means. In fact, I would guess that probably most adults don't know what that word means. But another way of translating it from the original language is sanctify or sanctification, um, 
purify or make, make holy your name. Which, that's kind of confusing to us too. Because when we talk about sanctification or making something holy or sanctifying something, we're often talking about the process of moving something from common or impure use to holy use. We're often talking about it from the standpoint of God's work of purifying us. The great promise of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, we have been purified from dead works. We've been sanctified. We've been made God's holy people. We who are not a people have been made holy. We've been set apart, sanctified, and set as God's holy people, common to holy. And then, even though we've been made God's people, we are still impure. We still sin. We're still full of sin. And so God's Spirit works in us to conform us to the image of Jesus. He enables us to put to death the sins which are in our hearts and to put on the deeds of righteousness. That's sanctification, the process of sanctification, of making us like Jesus. But that can't be what, mean, what Jesus means here. That can't be the request that, that Jesus is asking for because God's name is holy. It's not common. There's, there's nothing that God could do to make it more holy or more pure. It is perfectly pure but he can cause it to be regarded as holy. He can cause it to be revered and honored. And such is the request. The second part of it is, he talks about the name. Hallowed be your name. And names are interesting. We talked about names a little bit last week, but it's important enough for us to focus on it <clears throat> a little bit again today. So what is, it, what is a name? A name is uh, something, it's something by which we, we know something, it, it, someone or something. It's, uh, it's a, a way of describing or explaining who or what something is. It also helps define our relationship with that person. Well, last week we considered how Jesus taught us to call the Almighty God Abba. Dearest Father, and that teaches us something about God. That teaches us about his tenderness and his compassion, and his love and his nearness, his particular affection for us, his particular care, but also defines our relationship with him, that we're not impartial strangers, that we are not slaves to a slave master, we're not peers, we are children, and he is our father. And that all comes through a name. But uh, the name isn't the thing. Uh, there's no, the name is not the same thing as the, if you will, the objective reality of the, the thing named. Uh, or let me put it another way. Shakespeare's Juliet was right when she said, a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. And the same thing is true with our God. Whether he is known as Elohim, God, or El Shaddai, God Almighty, or Yahweh, I Am, or Abba, he's the same God. The, his name doesn't affect him. But names do carry our understanding of the thing named. And it, it carries the weight of the reputation. So a rose by any other name might smell just as sweet. But if we called 
those things, poisonous stinkweeds, we might be less inclined to smell them. And so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. As he's teaching us about our God, as God says throughout Scripture, he says, God is. There is no changing of him. And yet, God is very concerned about his reputation, about our understanding of who he is, which comes through his name and through our, our revering and regarding and glorifying who God is. And that comes through his name. And God is supremely concerned about his name and his reputation. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold guiltless anyone who takes his name in vain. In other words, God will not hold anyone guiltless who distorts the understanding of who he is, who corrupts his name so that he is improperly understood, who mars his reputation in the midst of the world. There's a, there's a psalm that says, it begins like this, it says, uh, Lord, you have exalted above all things. I wonder how you would finish that statement. Or what you think God exalts above all things. It says, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. God holds his name. His, that is the means by which we know him. His reputation. His glory. Is he getting the due, honor due of his name? is renowned for who he is. Since God exalts above all things his name, so should we. And we do, we do that in worship. That's, that's what worship is when we gather together. There's another psalm that says this. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with, with me. And I'm, you've probably heard that psalm. But have you ever thought about what we're actually saying there? Oh, magnify the Lord. Kids, you know what it means to magnify something. It means to make something bigger. Make something bigger. Like you have a magnifying glass, you look at a bug, you see this little bug looks big. But how could we possibly magnify the Lord? He is infinitely big, infinitely glorious. We can't make him greater than he is. We can't do anything to increase who he is. Well, the psalmist finishes that statement by saying, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. It is by exalting his name, by declaring his praise, that we magnify the Lord. One person put it that this magnifying is not so much like we're making something small look big, like a a magnifying glass or a microscope. It's more like a telescope where the smallness of our vision is expanded to see something incredibly immense and glorious. And that's what we're called to do. And what Jesus is teaching us is that we need to pray that our, our first and primary prayer request ought to be that God's name would be magnified glorified, sanctified, that he would get the honor due his name, that God would do this. He would cause his name to be exalted. 
John Calvin said, we should wish that God would have the honor he deserves, that men should never think of him without the highest reverence. Or another pastor put it like this. He said, this request is, may all the world and may all created things see God for who he is. And may his human creatures specifically adore and obey him. Or we could put it another way. We could say, our Father in heaven, may you be glorified and enjoyed forever. And brothers and sisters, this is how we must begin our prayers. This must be our first and primary desire. It's first, it's, notice Jesus teaches us to make this our first request, even before our most basic needs, even over our own salvation. We pray, hallowed be your name, before we ask, give us this day our daily bread before we ask that he provide our most basic things. We ask him to hallow his name before we ask, forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's the first request. It's the higher priority. Brothers and sisters, it is a gospel truth that you can imprint on your heart that no one, who sacrifices anything to the Lord, not even in the smallest amount, loses anything because of the, the most surefire way for us to receive that which we need, to receive the salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ, is to ask God to be exalted and glorified because God has promised, is promised to you and to me that we will never want we will never be apart from what we need. And so to ask God to hollow his name, to magnify his name, is to ask him to provide our needs so that we can rejoice in him and give him thanks. And God has sworn with an oath to save each and every one of his children, to bring them to glory, and to ask him to magnify his name is to ask him, Father, be faithful to your promises that every one of your people would rejoice and magnify and glory in your name. Such must be our first and focused prayer. But I think we should get a bit more specific. We should, we should ask the question, if that's the general principle of what we're praying for, what, what exactly are we asking God to do? Or to put it another way, if we ask God to hallow his name, how would he answer it? What would he actually do? What, what would he bring about? Let's unpack the, the request. And I think first and foremost, if we think big and grand, we're asking God to be faithful, to, to bring about his promise that the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the earth, that he would fulfill his promise where he said that no longer will a man teach his neighbor saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. That every man, woman, child would know the Lord, give him glory, not, not just a, a knowledge and awareness, 
of God, not just a, a head theoretical knowledge, but a experiential knowledge, a, a relational knowledge, a saving knowledge of the Almighty God, one that brings true worship and true praise uh, one where all mankind joins with the holy angels in worship. The angels who, who stand in God's presence and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. You hear what they're saying? The whole earth is full of his glory. Present tense. That means the whole earth is full of his glory even now. And yet, we don't see it. We don't know God as we ought. And so, we do not honor his name the way that we should. We do not give him the honor due his name. We don't praise him and adore him and worship him and magnify his name. There's this blindness that is, is there. And this prayer that our Savior teaches us is to pray that God would correct this great evil. He would, he would take the scales from our eyes to be able to see that. So we could say that this prayer is the great outreach prayer. The great prayer uh, where, where God would open the eyes of the blind and open, and open the ears of the deaf and unloosen the, the tongue that is mute to praise God for who he is, that the lame would leap for joy and, and rejoice. The, those who are in chains would be set free and rejoice in God's deliverance from chains. It's a, a prayer that the Spirit would work mightily throughout the world, and bring about true conviction of sin, true apprehension of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners, and give him praise that we would, we would move beyond the, the, the shallowness of mind to really receive the gospel as it's been extended to us. And God has promised that he will do these things, hasn't he? And yet, God gives in response to his people praying for them. And the Son teaches us, make this your desire. Long for it. Ask for it. Plead for it. Pray that the Lord would magnify his name through, by his Spirit. And the Spirit answers by saying, I will do this, and I do it in the church and I do it through the church. And so this prayer is a prayer for the church. It is a prayer that the witness of the church would be pure and glorious and powerful and courageous in the midst of the world, that it would be undefiled, that it would bear true witness and truly honor and, and sanctify, uh, the, it, would, it, would, it would 
bring about the true reputation of the Almighty God. It is a prayer for the, the powerful proclamation and preaching of God's Word, that God, by His Spirit, would do what He has promised to do, that He would raise up faithful ministers who would preach the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, and that faith would indeed come through hearing, and hearing through the preached Word of God. It is a prayer that the, the Word of God would pierce the stony hearts of its hearers, and bring us to our knees in humble adoration of a God who has sent his Son for us. It is a prayer that the gospel would be pure, not corrupted by the itching ears of its hearers or the personal preferences of the preachers, but they would preach Christ and him crucified, the only means of salvation, the only true hope. And it would come so with a demonstration of the Spirit and power. A preaching that unites God's people in their most holy faith, equips them for holy service, helps them to grow in love and adoration, moves us from a superficial understanding to a deep reception of the gospel that fills our mind warms our heart and works itself out in the way that we live. But it's not just a proclamation, it's also the purity of the witness. Brothers and sisters, I hope you've seen in Scripture, God has joined his reputation to the church, the very body of Christ. He has set us apart and you know it. You hear what people in the world say about the church and how that affects the Lord's name. This is a prayer that God would purify the witness of the church, that we would reflect the love of Christ. That it's, a, it's a prayer for unity and single-mindedness and pure worship of the one true and living God. A true brotherly affection of true doctrine, that we would know the God who has set us apart for himself, that we would know in, our, in every part of our ministry the love of Christ and would live this gospel out in and among our fellowship, that we would encourage one another towards love and charity and brotherly affection and hospitality, and these things would be evident and experienced and embraced by the whole church, and that the world would see it. Well, brothers and sisters, if that's true for the church, well, the church is made up of her members. So this prayer is a prayer for you and for me, that each one of us, would honor the Lord's name, that his, his name would be hallowed in our lives. And Martin Luther had a catechism that he put together called the Greater Catechism, and he asked this question, how is God's name hallowed amongst us? And his answer is very remarkable. He said, he said, when our life and our doctrine are truly Christian, 
I encourage you to think about that answer. When our life and doctrine are truly Christian, we don't have the time to talk through the fullness of what he said, but let's think about this for just a second. He didn't say when we are religious people, but when our, let's start with our doctrine. Our doctrine, our understanding is truly Christian. That means centered and focused on the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners. And what the truth of God means in light of Christ. And then our life, our life is truly Christian. Truly affected by Christ, but truly Christ-like. Not merely going through the motions, but with true devotion and true understanding that drives every part of our lives, where we are living sacrifices offering spiritual worship in every aspect of our life. So, it's remarkable, brothers and sisters, because we pray our Father in heaven, sanctify or sanctify your name, and God answers by sanctifying us, by purifying us, conforming us to the image of Christ and sanctifying the church, conforming the church to bear true witness to Christ, and if you will, by sanctifying all of God's creation. Because the fullness of this request is that the whole earth is full of his glory as the water covers the earth. Brothers and sisters, is that your chief desire? Is that your primary focus in prayer is that God would be glorified above all else. I suggest to you that whether or not you know it in your head and you say it on your lips, that is the, the desire of your heart. That is what you are longing for. And so I urge you to reorient your prayers and reorient your thoughts to focus on the glory of God because from the glory of God flows everything that we could possibly ask for. As, as we say, Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We will enjoy him when his name is magnified. But if you're like me, you know that while this is our chief end, our primary purpose, it's probably also our primary struggle. Our primary struggle because we, for us who are in Christ, who have beheld the beauty of God, we know we ought to put God's glory above everything else, and yet our hearts are looking at anything else. And to us, brothers and sisters, I would encourage you by saying this. Our Savior teaches us how to pray. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is to say, Father, sanctify your name in me. Help me to have this holy desire for your name above all else. Help me to glorify and enjoy you and, and help us to do it as a body of believers. Help the church to do that so that we can hold one another accountable and build one another up and encourage one another and, and understand and receive this, this joy of honoring the Almighty God and, and be encouraged, beloved, because our God will do this. He has promised to do this. He is exalted above all things his name and his word, and it's for that reason that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, 
to be with us and to be our Savior. He came, and this was, this was the, the prayer on his lips. He prayed, Father, glorify your name. And the Father said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it. And he glorified it by sending his son to the cross so that he, he could be known as a just God. And on the cross, he put all of our guilt from taking his name in vain on his son, Jesus Christ, and he poured out his wrath. He was just. He did not hold anyone guiltless who took his name in vain. But he also showed himself to be merciful. He named himself as the merciful God, that he did that for us out of his love for us. But he was both just and justifier because God raised Jesus from the dead. Scripture says for our justification, basically, so that we could be right with God, that the, the books would be cleared and that we would be forgiven. He, he named himself as a forgiving God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And just in that he raised his son Jesus Christ and has seated him in the heavenly realms and he has given him the name that is above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father. And so our Father says, my name is sanctified when you give glory to my Son who has done all of this for you. But he's also promised to do this because he's poured out his spirit upon us, the sanctifying spirit that gives us a glimpse of the glory and the majesty and the beauty, the power and the might of this God and the, the love of God that is so merciful and kind to us who are so weak in our understanding and so foolish with our lips. He's working in us and he's working his name he's sanctifying his name through us beloved he's hallowing his name in and through us and so we know that he will do it because he has promised and he is always faithful and finally brothers and sisters what i want you to know is that this is the greatest of all the petitions that our savior gives us because as puritan thomas watson said this is the only petition that will remain for all eternity. One day our, our Savior Jesus Christ will come back and we will no longer pray, thy kingdom come, because when our king returns, his kingdom will come with him. And on that day we will no longer pray, give us this day our daily bread, because we will feast in his presence forever and ever. We will have no want forever and ever. We will feast in the house of Zion. And on that day, we will no longer pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Lead us in, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil because on that day, there will be no more evil. There will be no more wickedness. There will, our Father's will will be perfectly done in the new heavens and the new earth, and sin and wickedness and all the effects of the curse will be cast aside forever and ever. And one thing will remain, and that will be the glory and the majesty and the worship of the God who has saved us and has purified us for all eternity. And on that day, we will know that our Father has heard our prayers in his Son, Jesus Christ, 
our prayers where we cried out, Our Father, hallowed be your name. Let's pray together. Father, we look forward to the day when your name is renowned throughout the earth and esteemed as it really is. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, to teach us, to reveal your glory, to show us your glory. And I pray that you would help us to live in him and to bear witness to him and to glorify him even as we seek to glorify you. We can't do this apart from your work. And so we pray that your spirit would work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. Help us to glorify you. Father, hallowed be your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.